0: Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. Okay, thank you everybody for joining us today for another episode of Women in B2B Marketing. Today, I have the fabulous Georgiana Lawdy. She is co-founder and CEO of Forget the Funnel, which is also a book. If you're on YouTube, you see it for podcast listeners. I just showed the book. It is also now a podcast. I believe it launched just this month, so recently, a week or so ago. Congrats. She's co-creator of the Customer-Led Growth Framework. She has 20 plus years growing B2B and B2C brands former VP product marketing at Bitly, former VP marketing at Unbounce, growth advisor to countless well-known brands that I can't name, the amazing Gia. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Wow. That was quite the intro. I appreciate it. There's so much. I actually, before we dive in, I want to just read something that gave me good chills in the very, very beginning of the book. This is just amazing. I'm reading a praise for the book, right? My team paid tens of thousands of dollars to work with Claire and Gia, and we earned every dollar back tenfold. This book shows exactly how they did it and how you can too. From Rand Fishkin. What? (laughs) What? (laughs) <laughs> Amazing! Like just claps for. The, I mean, everyone know, listening knows who Rand Fishkin is. So huge to have those kudos! Amazing! Yeah, Congrats! Absolutely. How did that come about? <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, it's funny. Spark Toro. So Rand is you know most well known for his work with Moz, but a, a couple of years ago mm, was it 2019? 2019 was when he launched yeah. Spark Toro. So his new startup. And he came to Claire and I, basically, like him and Casey were looking for sort of validation on to feel like a level of confidence to launch. And he came to Claire and I, and we were like, Of course, we're going to help you. Of course. And so we were super, super lucky to work with him on that first project, which helped refine sort of the messaging that they went to market with. But then we got to work with Rand again a year later he came back again and wanted to refine their like product onboarding experience. And so that was our second opportunity to work with wow. them. So yeah, SparkToro has been sort of in and out of customer led growth and working with forget the funnel for the past couple of years. And Rand is absolutely awesome as is Amanda and Casey little micro team. Yeah. Really I mean, great thing. team.
0: Yeah. yeah. Amazing. So cool. Well, congrats again. That was just really cool to read when I was looking through this. I always start out with this question, but if you could walk us through your amazing career path, I just shared a tiny snippet of it in the intro. So if you could, you don't have to go in through everything, but what got you into B2B and some B2C marketing in the first place? How'd you get here?
1: Um, I actually started in B2C. I started working for my father's business, retail, brought that business online rather with like an e-commerce website, it was in the flower business, which at the time, I don't know what the numbers are now, but at the time was the fourth most purchased thing on the internet was flowers.
0: Very, very clean. 100 flowers and all of those. Yes. So,
1: and also it was a really interesting time for the floral industry as like there was some disruption happening and I actually got exposed to sort of the like big fish, eating some of the small fish and like what it was like to be a local small yeah. business, like brick and mortar business, trying to sort of survive at that time. And so I started really diving into digital marketing. I studied communications at, at, uh, in university. So I was already like, cool. I was already pretty well poised in, in that regard. So once I got exposure to this, small businesses being eaten up, I was like, no, 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 I'm going to solve this and started learning about like search engine optimization and conversion rate optimization and social media marketing and, you know, website optimization, all that stuff that I didn't call them by those names back then. This was like 2000, 2001, Mm 2002-ish. And then because of that, I sort of fell in love with online marketing, but that was mostly in the B2C space. What got me into B2B was about 10 years later... 11 years later, I started running women in tech sort of events, local events for women in tech in person. And it was like helping women who wanted to break into tech, basically lowering the barrier, helping make the tech community a little bit more accessible. And they were like standing room only events for two years, really, really popular. And that exposed me to the startup community, which then led me to startup festival in Montreal in 2011, I guess it was. And Dave McClure talking about Pirate Metrics for the first time, I think that was 2012. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yes, SaaS, like recurring revenue businesses, these are my people because they understand the role of marketing post-acquisition. And so I was like, finally, these are the people that are going to understand that marketing is a revenue generator, not just a cost center. So I was like, I found my people and I'm never going back. And I I attached myself onto the side of B2B SaaS and sort of never looked back now to to say that really in sas understands that revenue uh, marketing has a role to play post acquisition and is a revenue driver it's kind of funny cuz you know we're how many years later and that's still we're still pretty still a conversation exactly <laughs> that was really where i sort of tipped over into b2b was was that concept of marketing playing a critical role post acquisition i just knew that those were the types of businesses i should be working with
0: mm-hmm. amazing so You touched on it a little bit, like getting into product marketing and the post sign up or post customer acquisition phase and how that all loops back in. So the funnel, the typical funnel, we hear from a lot of people, the funnel is dead, kill the funnel. It's now a bow tie or it's now a maze. Like we've seen a million different charts, right? But tell us your stance on forget the funnel. Like, what is that all about? Yeah. I mean, it definitely
1: first picks on the traditional funnel that is only top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel. But yeah. I would, I still use those terms. Oh, totally. <laughs> I mean, we still use those terms, too. If they, you know, help facilitate conversation and they're what, you know, the people that you're talking to need to hear to understand, then you use the terms you need to use, right? But where those, I mean, there's the obvious places where the funnel falls down post-acquisition. But then furthermore, even post-acquisition, if you're using the hourglass or the bow tie or whatever the other models are, generally they're pretty generic. So thinking about all customers as being like, okay, here's top of funnel. And, you know, thinking we understand what that means or middle of funnel or bottom of funnel or even post-acquisition, if we're using sort of generic buckets that we're putting our customers in especially if we're talking about product-led growth companies or like companies that are looking to scale it's that's really risky because we're not getting to the sort of nuance of what customers need at those various stages. We're also not taking into account the nuance of our product, our offering, our market, right? And so they're just too generic across the board. Generally, I take the same issue with pirate metrics, right? Very helpful for thinking about post-acquisition and the value of post-acquisition marketing, but it is still generic. And so that's why we sort of pick on the funnel in that way, that we should not be thinking about our relationship with customers as being a funnel. We should be thinking about it as a relationship that has, you know, ups and downs, that has milestones and needs and, and you know, what customers are thinking and feeling as like full-blown
0: sentient human beings that they are. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And we started to touch on this before we turned the mics on, but product marketing customer-led marketing, and then how this all comes back to the funnel. I know we were saying that Marketing is still so siloed, especially the bigger uh, your company size gets. And you have various teams for each function or each channel, depending on your org structure. Mm. But there's usually product marketing in one bucket, then customer marketing in another. And the funnel typically relates to demand gen or lead gen revenue teams. So how do you see these all working together and really customer-led working towards the funnel or replacing the, the funnel?
1: Right. Well, I definitely will say it depends because every team I've <laughs> ever worked with, the marketing team, product, product marketing, customer success, sales, shakes out differently so than different. every single company I've ever worked with. So it's the, the answer is definitely like, what works for your org? But just to go back to the funnel yeah. piece for a second, we generally think about it in terms of like a customer experience. We don't call it a customer journey, primarily because... We as marketers and anybody who works on product has, we have a association with customer journeys generally as like starting at somebody landing on our website or the buyer journey and things like that. So we want to sort of force people to think about like zooming out and thinking about the customer experience a little bit more holistically from your customers being out in the world, experiencing the problem that you solve all the way through to You know referrals and reviews and telling the rest of the world about your solution and there's a lot that happens in there so we talk about it as a customer experience and then generally your customer experience will break down in three phases so the struggle phase the evaluation phase and the growth phase and inside of each of those phases we should be looking at what are our customers sort of success milestones inside of each of those and they're different for every company now to get back to your question about like how the team shakes out Well, that depends. So, you know, you might think about the sales team as somewhat overlapping the struggle phase and the evaluation phase, but sales comes in again, right? In growth or expansion, monetization opportunities, upsell. So sales is involved like all the way through. Marketing also involved all the way through. And so we tend to think of product marketing as the sort of strategic source to when should marketing get involved, when should sales get involved, when should customer success be be involved, and help mm-hmm. those teams make better decisions about when to get involved, what to do, you know, what is a, an appropriate customer experience, how to measure success. And so building basically the foundational sort of like structure for how to layer in the different teams and different efforts. So it, the answer is, of course, always it depends but it will come down to yeah. you know what's the most appropriate experience for your customers and you know how to layer in your your team and efforts on on top of that but kpis are an important part of that conversation who you have yeah. available right at any given time what scale what where you are in terms of the company's like sort of development and maturity of the company and and team that will that will all change over time but the thing that I will always go back to, and I often even still need to remind myself, is when in doubt about how to make those decisions, what is in the best interest of customers? What is going to put us in the best position to be able to serve customers with where they are in their customer experience with us? That's generally how to answer those questions.
0: So yeah, that's, that's how we think about it. love that. Writing that down, just what best serves customers? Because it's it's honest when everything is... It depends, right? Because everything should be very custom to each brand and their situation, their team, their audience. But as long as you keep coming back to after you rabbit hole nature of marketing, you come back up and you think what is best for the customer. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, despite the it depends factor, are there any consistencies that you look for or talk about with your clients that On the the side of measurement, like how do you measure that this customer led focus is working?
1: Yeah, so measurement is massive. Unfortunately, when we typically start working with companies, it is very typical for them to be using just best practices, which best practices is not bad. I mean, it's it's a great place to start, but it is not going to get you to that level of scale and empower your team to actually, you know, take action in
0: Mm -hmm. the best way
1: possible. So we like to pick on like MQLs and SQLs, but we also like to pick on daily actives and weekly actives and monthly actives. Like, is that actually the best measure of success? (laughs) Is that actually what we're trying to accomplish here? So those are very typical measures of success that teams will come to us with. But I mean, spoiler, every time we work with a company, we do customer research. (laughs) So we are always... Surprise, surprise. Yeah. So (laughs) we can talk a little bit more about like how we prioritize customers for research, but let's just say we've prioritized, you know, ideal customers, high LTV, amazing customers with our research. Generally what we do is we're learning about what good looks like for those customers and we're, we're, we're reverse engineering their success. So we basically look back at like, well, how did they use the product in a meaningful way? If we work backwards, like what does continued value, happy, healthy customers look like? How are they using our product on the day-to-day? Or maybe it's not day-to-day, maybe it's weekly, maybe it's monthly, but what is the meaningful product usage that shows us that they're healthy, happy, and the low risk of churn, right? High retention, high LTV, happy, happy customers. Then we sort of go work backwards from that. And Because of the type of research that we run, We have a lot of insight into like what they're trying to accomplish. So we can sort of connect those two things, right? The problem they're in the world trying to solve and these happy, healthy customers, we can sort of reverse engineer how to introduce our product in a meaningful way. So how to measure activation and then also how to measure like actual true adoption. So we talk a lot about continued value, value realization and first value, and helping companies basically identify what those KPIs are because yeah. if we can figure those out then the rest sort of a lot more straightforward to figure out that's not to say that we don't learn things about value expansion and value growth and how we can help our customers sort of expand in their usage because obviously all those opportunities open up but from a KPI standpoint that those tend to be the most sort of interesting to sort of unpack and help companies identify
0: Love that. And the first value, I'm sure, has to be different from brand to brand and what they consider that. But then it's time to first value, right? Like measuring all of those factors, too. Yeah. What do you think that most brands are doing wrong? Like where are they going wrong when you see them or when they don't bring you in? Like just (laughs) where you know that they need you. (laughs) Right.
1: Unfortunately, this is just... It's two across the board is that a lot of companies are guessing who their best customers are. And mm-hmm. so they are, you know, they'll come to us and say, like, we need more leads. You know, our, our marketing needs to be more effective. We need more signups. And they say we need more customers, but really what they mean by that yeah. is they want to fill the top of the funnel because they think if they fill the top of the funnel, it'll like trickle down into more revenue. And they want to yeah. make major investments on the marketing side without unfortunately having a solid foundational understanding of who their best customers are and so that's the mistake we see happen all the time some companies come to us and they're like we don't know who our best customers are we need help we know we don't know unfortunately like nine out of ten i would say don't know they don't know and so they just want to add more marketing into the mix. Or they want to like write an email onboarding sequence or launch a new um, product onboarding experience without doing the research of actually finding out like how are we supposed to measure success? How should this product actually be introduced? What is a happy, healthy customer? What's the product usage that a happy, healthy customer like will show us to show us that they are a low risk of, uh, of attrition, let's say. So it's really like relying on guessing, best practices, intuition, not to say that all of those things are not important, you know, maybe not the guessing part, but the intuition and experimentation (laughs) and um, best practices are very important. But I think that we all do a lot more guessing than we need to do. Because honestly, even very limited amount of customer research, we can be so much better informed about what that experience should look like for those customers, how to measure actual meaningful product usage and engagement, but also how to go out into the yeah. market and speak to them about where they're at, know what solution are they firing in order to hire our solution. You know, what are the watering holes that they hang out in? What are they evaluating us against? Yes. The old way versus us and how to compete against the old way. So there's a lot of yeah. guessing that I find that companies are doing needlessly, like we're spinning our wheels. We're wasting a lot of time when actually the answers to a lot of these questions are just like inside the heads of our best customers. We just got to pull them out and then operationalize them, which sounds very yeah. easy, but there actually is like a <laughs> process for it. I recognize that it sounds, it sounds straightforward and easy, but it's actually, uh, there's work involved there, but it's, yeah, it's absolutely doable. And yeah, we don't have to be guessing basically.
0: Yeah, I need to ask them. Agreed. But I see exactly what you're saying. So I'm thinking back to just previous companies and almost all of them, right? It's like, where do our customers hang out? Where do they spend their time? That's like the top question for a marketer. So we can be there and put our ad dollars there. Yeah. I mean, it's good to do research also, but you can just ask. So identify your top customers, ask them. But then the hard part, like you're saying with operationalizing is doing something with that data, right? How many times do we run a survey and the results just kind of sit there or are sales team asks great questions on calls and that information goes nowhere, like making sure that that info is pulled from wherever it is and used and put to use. So yeah, a huge that's right. reminder there.
1: That's exactly right. And I think the operationalizing part is... It can be daunting, but it can be quite straightforward as well. Like if you do this foundational research ahead of time where you identify, okay, those those are the three phases our customer goes through. What are the individual sort of milestones or leaps of faith that our customer takes in our relationship with us? And you can operationalize around those milestones and develop KPIs, then that gives you yeah. a, I mean, not to be so literal about it, but a literal map for figuring out what our customers are thinking and feeling and doing at each of those milestones and what KPI should we be focused on? And that really gives all of us a sort of foundational understanding to start with, but also layer on to. So if sales has an insight, well, what part of the customer experience does that insight apply to? Who could that be useful mm. to? And it gives us all a sort of a central you know, place to have those conversations and create that shared language so that customer insight can then be sort of democratized and across the organization. But a lot of Yeah. Companies, unfortunately, you know, marketing will have one map that they refer to, either they're using a funnel or a a buyer journey and product will use a completely different one. And they'll be using user journeys and sales will be using something else. And they don't often or always connect or speak to each other, which obviously just perpetuates the divides between the teams. But if you have a centralized customer experience map, Where you're all able to look and see that this is the high level 30,000 foot view understanding of our customers. And then you can, you know, every team can see themselves in that customer experience, the role they play the KPIs and they layer. It's not like one team per milestone necessarily, they layer, but at least they, there's yeah. that centralized understanding.
0: So it seems, I mean, there's, I'm definitely dumbing this down, but there's two main themes that I'm pulling out so far. And one is the importance of customer research and knowing your customer not making inferences. And the second is alignment across the entire company on the importance of the full customer experience. On the first with customer research, is there a specific cadence that you recommend brands go with for conducting this research? Is it an annual, a biannual? How often do you revisit because your audience can change, right? Your best customer can totally change. Yeah. Are you, are you ready? No, I <laughs> it <good>. depends. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, I mean, to your point, just to start there, your customer can change. And um, so if you have not done customer research in the last three years, you are late. You needed to yeah. have done it already. But I'll just say that companies that it depends on the company depends on the maturity of the company. We work with some earlier stage companies that are just getting started, and they want a solid foundation to to start with. They know they want to do things right from the get go, and those companies yeah. often what will happen with them is a year later they'll come back and they'll want to do the same style of research again because like you mentioned the the product obviously changes the market changes even the their sort of the customer that they want to focus on will evolve will learn more right new customers come through the the front door so um, that foundational yeah. research that i'm talking about could be let's say every 6 months or annually but you should definitely like you just mentioned like insights from sales that gets layered on more regularly And we should always be learning so one of the actually let me just go back to that foundational stuff more mature companies i would say is we also work with more mature companies that come to us that have customer journey maps that are like defunct like oh we did it three years ago or five years ago and you know it was kind of helpful for like one team at that time but it hasn't been referenced since and so creating like setting up that foundation again makes sense and i think that like cadence again will depend on product development market development like how the product changes and how the market changes now layering yeah. on more regular basically insight and inputs into that the customer research should be happening all the time one of the like really low hanging fruit opportunities that i see almost no companies take advantage of is when a customer signs up after they go through the sign up flow Asking them like, "What was it that led led you to sign up today? Like, what was going on in your world that led you to sign up today?" with an open text field, and just capturing that information, even if you don't do anything with it, is wildly helpful. Because Chris Walker is clapping for you right now. (laughs) Yeah, because there's just so much to learn there. Again, even if you don't do anything with it, even if you aren't in a position to be able to segment your onboarding in that way like obviously the ideal situation yeah. be that you can but in absence of that or in the shorter term you're learning a ton because as those open responses come in you can start to recognize the themes and the patterns there and start to see you know who yeah. uh, who you're actually drawing through the front door. How do they ultimately convert into being a customer? What does LTV look like for those customers in three months from now, six months from now? So just capturing that, asking that one tiny little question can go a really, really long way. And then similarly, once, you know, a a sort of key action is taken inside of the product, checking in with them again, making sure that you can identify where customers sort of fall out of engagement with the product and being proactive, Active in reaching out to them and learning what's going on then. Like why did they become less active or change their product usage habits? And then of course, learning from customers who eventually cancel as well is really, really insightful as well. Not because you should necessarily try to solve for everybody, but figure out where things might be sort of out of alignment a little bit or where there are opportunities to improve. But that foundational research, I definitely recommend happens at least annually, twice annually would, would even be better. But again, layering on ongoing research is definitely the the name of the game. Like You're pro
0: level if you're doing that. Perfect. And you touched on this a little bit a couple of times, I think, is how does either customer research or just focusing on customer-led growth and marketing, how does this change or how have you seen this change or be different from smaller startup companies to more robust and built established brands? I mean, it's probably going to be really
1: obvious, my answer, but it's like the number of people involved. But in both yeah, scenarios, yeah. it's really important that the senior leadership team, so to speak, be brought along the entire Yeah. That's critical at early stage or at later stage, but it looks different. Who might champion it internally will be different. At an earlier stage company, it's definitely going to be the founder that is championing this type of work or a head of marketing if there is one. Later stage company, it's probably product marketing, but maybe you know supported in, and championed internally by the CPO and the CMO. I've seen that the CPO and CMO like that's the the those are the two, at a, a more mature company, those are the two sort of leaders that I would say are the best to, to champion this type of thing. Again, mm-hmm. because it is about setting the sort of the foundation for teams to layer their efforts on top of, like sales, like customer success, like marketing, like, like the product team. So Yeah, that's where we've seen it sort of shake out. But yeah, so who's championing it internally changes. Obviously, how many people are involved? Yeah. Just because there's more people.
0: And so, you know, which can be good and bad, right?
1: Yeah. (laughs) But also, at an earlier stage company, there might be one version of your customer experience map. At a later stage company, there are multiple, they all are based on the same sort of milestones but there will be additional sort of yeah. lenses. I, I sort of think about it. This is, I'm definitely aging myself, but you know, those like projectors in classrooms where it be like, the, yes, like the clear sheets that layer over top. I sort of, yes, think like that
0: the marker, that's the wipe what, off marker. I remember those. Yeah. So each
1: department sort of represents a new sort of layer or sheet laid on top of that foundation. And that's, that can be a helpful way to look at it too, because then you're all using the same language to talk about the milestones and the KPIs and the customers on the whole, but you all have, you know,
0: your own unique sort of role to play in in each of those. Love that. That's really interesting. And yeah, I think it's the size of the company. I could see fewer people being a burden, but also easier and faster right the good at the one silver lining or not one but one of the silver linings of a startup is you can move faster there's less red tape but then a bigger company you have more stakeholders which can be a plus and a minus it's slower moving but you have more bandwidth and people can take on different aspects of it absolutely so, yes. interesting yeah. with your clients and advisees I know you're you're advising multiple brands as well. What do you see working in 2023 or excited about in 2024? And working, you can take this any direction you see, like towards revenue growth or better bringing value to the customers. Really, those would go hand in hand in theory. But what do you see working? One of the areas that I think is really exciting right now is like product-led sales
1: and how product-led growth can serve yeah. product-led sales and all the opportunity that is sitting there for companies that you know I think we've only seen the tip of the iceberg of the potential there yeah but truth be told we're we're not that far along with product like growth on its own I mean, there's a lot yeah. of opportunity for more mature companies to introduce product like growth and take advantage of creating those experiences and lowering the barrier and lower lowering the touch so both of those areas i think are still very new and there's a ton of opportunity i mean obviously i tend to to towards this like there's no point in marketing and spending ad spend right or throwing money at the top of the funnel again if you don't have your positioning and messaging nailed in if you don't have that early product experience nailed in. And even yeah. just mentioning those two, those are always going to be, you're always going to be optimizing those. They're, you're never going to feel a hundred percent about either one of those. Uh, there's always room yeah. for growth, but making progress there is critical before layering on more ad spend, especially now. Yes. That's what's, what is sort of happening in that what I'm seeing happen in the market now is like marketing is so much more expensive than it used to be. It's a lot more expensive to acquire a customer. Yes. And so I think that companies are finally getting to this point where like we're wisening up. And it's not just about throwing more marketing at this thing to throw to show and prove yeah. like growth trajectories where actually like revenue actually matters and turning those leads into customers and high L T V customers. We're being forced to think in that way. And I think it's a really good thing obviously Agreed. there's, it's a bit of a scary market right now. I know that a lot of like VC funding is, is looks very, very different. And like I mentioned before, the cost to acquire yes. customers a lot higher than it used to be. But I think that inevitably that was always the right way to go about things was to get smarter at like your conversion rates and focusing on your, you know, your trial to paid or your free to paid conversion rate. You should have always been focused there. And I think that now yeah. companies are, they don't have a choice. Yeah. And I think that's a very good thing. So product-led growth, the opportunity there, doing a better job of meeting customers where they are at scale is a really interesting sort of space right now and, and a good opportunity for companies that I think that it never ceases to blow my mind when I talk to a company that is, you know, so sophisticated on the product side of things, but yet their mechanisms for communicating the value of the product are just not there. I'm like, it's 2023. The technology exists to do this. You're sending time-based emails when you could be sending product triggered emails, right? Based on action they took or didn't take. And so many companies don't take advantage of that. So that really excites me. And that's just like, that's table stakes for PLG. And then as I mentioned at the beginning, identifying opportunities for product-led sales is also a really cool space right now. Cause I think that some of the more mature companies that have a have a a real sort of motion, like a a legitimate sales motion that want to get a lot smarter in how they're running sales. Also, there's a ton of opportunity to identify leads within that sort of the customer bases that maybe we couldn't identify before. Again, because we're getting smarter about what do good customers look like? What does actual product value look like? How do we measure that? Which gives sales an opportunity to identify those customers and and do like proactive outreach and make their job a lot easier. But again, these are all things that like sound straightforward. And yep, of course, of course, we should be doing this. But you know, as companies are being pinched for resources, a lot of teams are shrinking yes. in size right now. Yeah, um, we're we're being forced to do more with less. Yeah, I still think that getting smart about optimizing customer experiences and looking at those those critical sort of conversion rates. There's still a lot of opportunity there I don't think nearly enough companies have tapped into
0: that because they
1: haven't had to before so
0: I'm excited yes. I think it's I think it's a good thing
1: but it can feel tough
0: yeah I feel like I, I just found myself clapping like along with everything you said because I feel like you hit on at least five different key yes moments of like we need to like first you mentioned, messaging and positioning being key. And it's often something that gets overlooked because people like it's speed, right? Let's throw money at this and get some users. And it's a mistake I see a lot of marketers make right away, right? They started a new company. Let's redo the website. I'm very much of the mindset of no, let's pause and first find out, is this who our audience is? Everyone, when I first come into a new company, I always hear, we already know who the audience is. We don't need to spend time on that. Let's speed up and do this. So often I've heard that. I'm like, do we though? So I love that you're reiterating, we need to focus on messaging and get that right before we throw more marketing dollars in. And yes, product triggered emails. I mean, this customer led growth and PLG mindset really involves every team member. If you think about it, like the alignment that's email specific, email teams, you're right. So many are still using scheduled sends and triggers based on something in their CRM they clicked on an ebook okay send them this which can be great too but there's this whole other product component that should be factored in I mean preach (laughs) I want to go back to one thing so with PLG yeah. I think there's a conception that PLG is just for those targeting SMB and small businesses, mm. not when you get to enterprise. I'm curious what you think about the conception and is PLG for one type or size or for all? Oh boy, that's a great question. I definitely think that every uh, company can
1: can benefit from introducing product-led strategies even those that sell into enterprise. So this is, this is a conversation that actually I have often, which is like, who should we be targeting? Is it the economic buyer? This is not language that a founder would necessarily use in a conversation with us, but essentially what they're asking is, should we be targeting with outbound sales or even in our messaging on our website, that economic buyer or more that functional user? Again, that's not Mm -hmm. language that a founder would ever use, but a lot of folks do get stuck there. And there are cases where, this is maybe not true, but I would say that nine times out of 10, and by the way, I would, I would say 10 times out of 10, but I, like, I reserve the right to be wrong <laughs> in some capacity. Yeah. <laughs> Generally, we advise the person who feels the pain that your solution solves is who you should be focused on in your marketing and in your positioning yeah. and messaging on your website and in your early product-led experiences that you create, if you're serving into a, I mean, we're talking about B2B here, right? So if you're serving into a an enterprise, right, or where there are multiple people involved, there's nobody more important than that champion. If you cannot get yeah. buy-in and win that champion, that functional user, the person who feels, sorry, I shouldn't say functional user because that isn't always, I, I'm being too black and white about it, but essentially that the person who feels the pain that your solution solves, whether or not that's a a functional user or a manager, right? The person who's closest to the problem. Mm -hmm. If you can't win them over, there's no economic buyer or technical buyer, or in some cases, you know, functional user to even worry about. So focusing on them is generally, again, I'll say nine times out of 10, but arguably 10 times out of 10, your biggest advantage is to focus on that person. And I am often hard pressed to Work with a company where I cannot find an opportunity for them to leverage product led growth in some way, shape, or form to prove to that champion that this solution can solve a problem for you. Even if it is a sandbox account available on your website or what I call like faux yeah. freemium, where you give <laughs> that champion some sort of opportunity, even with, if it's with like dummy data or whatever, you give them an opportunity yeah. to kick the tires to see can this thing actually do what the website said it could do for me Yeah, and sort of prove it and give them an opportunity to, again, kick the tires. And that's like a, a faux freemium, right? It's not, it's not a true freemium model, but it is still product led. And it's still an opportunity yeah. for that champion to get in there, see how it feels, see what other team members experience might feel like. Does it actually solve the problem that you know the, the marketing site said that it does? So that's a like yeah. Kind of a no-brainer. There's also like interactive demos. There are all kinds of things that can happen sort of in that product experience that helps that champion basically see that you can do what you promise you you can do on your website to then get buy-in from economic buyers or stakeholders or other people that might be involved in the buying decision. So that champion is like yeah. number one. Is there also an opportunity to in tandem do an outbound strategy to that economic buyer? Sure. But That doesn't mean that product-led growth isn't an opportunity for you. I mean, again, it's 2024; the technology exists. There's absolutely no reason not to leverage your product to sell it for you. And that's just one example of introducing product-led growth. There's many, many others, but it's a low barrier way. I I work with a lot of enterprise, you know, more complex products where I say like, well, do you have a sandbox account that you use on your demos, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's true. Well, can we create an instance of that that is yes. like locked down that you can make available, or even you know capture an email address in order to to gain access to it? Yes. And Generally, it already yeah. the technology already exists to do that, so it can be a real low yes. barrier way to use the product
0: for for growth. Have you heard of tools like TestBox and Walnut that let box. you for yeah. enterprise? Yeah. Ah, awesome. I love TestBox; big fan of theirs. Very cool. Cause then if you don't, for these enterprise companies that don't give you a free trial or don't want to, you know, unload their their sandbox, you can use a tool like this where they get to actually go in and demo and feel right. it themselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: But there's always an opportunity for that, especially if you put that champion in your mind's eye and understand like what is motivating them to solve this problem. What is the old solution they're firing in order to hire another one? what are their deal yeah. breakers anxieties about, you know, changing things and, and, and making a decision to choose something new. If you have that insight for that champion, the product led opportunities, basically, that you have available to you will become a lot more obvious. And by the way, we call it customer led growth, because whether or not you're layering in product led growth, or sales led or marketing led or community led, you know, there's all kinds of these, you know, these x led sort of movements, we see uh, customer led (laughs) growth as being sort of at the foundation level at the at the base of that to understand, what strategies to layer on and when what are the situations in which we should be leveraging plg what are the situations that we should be leveraging you know pls right product-led sales or all the other opportunities that might be available to us it's at the end of the day what is in the best interest of our customers and that's why clg is sort of that foundation what is the most appropriate experience that we can provide them whether product-led or sales-led or marketing led?
0: I love that. That's so true. We are hearing as marketers left and right, there's all these new Dash led growth that come in, that are coming up. I think, what is it? GTM partners is someone they have this whole list of a million different ones, but I, I agree with what you're saying that customer led growth should be at the, the foundation, the core of these and then it can determine what other functions you're building on and you should never really choose just one anyway you should totally use multiple hundred yeah, percent
1: yeah yeah they're they're all for the taking. it's just that what is the most appropriate customer experience for your customers, your high LTV? customers and then yeah. leverage the shit out of all of them. There's, you know, there's yeah. there's plenty available yes. and there's a lot of amazing work going into a lot of that. Like I said, product-led sales is a really exciting place right now. Product-led growth, we're, we're still at the tip of the iceberg in terms of taking advantage yes. of all the opportunities there. But unless we understand what our customers need and want and what yeah. actually matters to those customers, we're, we will be guessing at any one of these other strategies
0: yes it's funny it kind of reminds me of abm back in the day when it was first starting it was like okay abm is only for enterprise you have to have this major platform and you have to do it this way but now abm has been kind of simplified and made approachable and any size company can use it yep. it should be how we're thinking about customer-led growth and product-led growth any company can can use this strategy it's just going to be look different for every brand Yep. Well, it has been amazing picking your brain on all things, customer-led growth and SLG and (laughs) non-funnels. I will link to everything that we mentioned. Of course, forget the funnel, the book, the podcast, the website itself in show notes. But I'm curious if you could share any podcast or book that you're reading or listening to today that you recommend our listeners do as well.
1: Yeah, so I mean, primarily the audience here is B2B marketers, right? I really love Lenny Richitsky's podcast. So Lenny Richitsky has a, I mean, if you Google Lenny's newsletter or Lenny's podcast, he's a product manager. But for anybody in B2B SaaS right now, Product management is like you will only be well served by better understanding the role that yes. product managers play and the, the struggles that product managers have and basically what life looks like for them in the day to day for product managers. It is super, super valuable for any marketer to be better informed there. So that's a, a good sort of stretch podcast and and you will get exposed to people, experts and conversations and topics that you wouldn't, if you just stick in the same sort of marketing watering holes. Um, So I definitely, definitely recommend Lenny's podcast books. I mean, I I always have to mention April. April Redford's yes. my, she's my go-to, obviously awesome. So by the <laughs> way,
0: everyone is also a fan of Forget the Funnel, <laughs> right on the cover. Yeah, Holy oh, yeah. was like,
1: April, i putting you on the cover of the book. She was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, you're going on cover." <laughs> so obviously awesome is obviously awesome. But she also has a second book called Sales Pitch, yes. which is also a really good, more of a stretch for like product marketers to- yeah, to sort of take a little bit of a foray into like the sales world and and expose yourself to like more of the sales narrative. So some some folks in B2B are really on the product side. Some folks in B2B are more on the sales side, right, in marketing. So yeah. pushing both of those, more on the product side, more on the sales side. Get outside the bubble, basically, the marketing yes. bubble. But
0: yeah, I guess those would be my, love my two. That's my great. Two I mean, I love the advice of just getting outside your bubble because you're right. You do tend to like in marketing, you stick to, okay, B2B marketing, let's look up different podcasts and you get recommendations and you stay in your little niche, but you're right. It's great to go outside of that because it gives you a different perspective and like break out of your mold from time to time. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Gia. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. I hope to reconnect selfishly one to one so I can pick your brain some more. Absolutely. Um, but Let's do if that. anyone wants to connect, where's the best place for them to reach out to you?
1: I think it's probably LinkedIn these days. I mean, obviously, the website yeah. and my email is Gia at forgetthefunnel.com. So anybody can email me, but LinkedIn is where I'm hanging out. That, it's unfortunately not Twitter anymore. <laughs> I've given yeah. up. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, especially lately. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And thank you everybody for listening and tuning in. If you enjoyed, share with a friend, like the podcast, rate the podcast, leave a review. It helps us get in front of more folks, more women. So thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful day.